Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, you may have noticed that once again, housing prices in the Bay Area are skyrocketing. The region's median price hit a record 1.3 million in April. Homes are seeing intense bidding wars and all the red flags are there. Multiple offers over asking price, all cash bids, some without contingencies like inspections, and lots of investors getting in on the action. A new report now gets at what's behind the spiral. For every one new home permitted in the San Francisco and San Jose metro areas from 2009 to 2019, there were more than three jobs created. The report is more evidence that even though the politics of housing seem to be changing, with many people supporting more construction, those units are simply not being built. And as my guest today, Chronicle reporter Lauren Hepler writes, Bay Area workers are being forced to spend more of their incomes on housing than those in almost any other place, a threat to our economic future, as well as a stark issue of fairness. Lauren Hepler, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So Lauren, tell us about this report. I mean, the supply and demand, it seems like such a simple issue, but the Bay Area has always had more jobs than housing. Is is it only getting worse? Yeah, that's definitely true. And I mean, you can go back, I've, and I've gone back to some of these public meetings and things from the dot-com boom, other times when the economy has been really hot in the Bay Area, and this is not a new concern. On a day-to-day level, I think most people in the Bay Area have heard a version of the complaint that all the tech jobs are driving up housing costs because it's all too expensive. Um and But I really think that this idea of a mismatch between jobs and housing is sort of coming back into focus now because we're in another moment where cities are having to approve their housing plans for the next decade. Um, so that's happening at the local level. And we've got this national report now that shows, whoa, the Bay Area has really fallen way further behind places like Denver, like Austin, where they're creating more like um, 1.5 jobs for every housing unit. And obviously that sounds wonky, but it has big day-to-day impacts for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, more than three jobs. I mean, you would think that would have changed with some of the political changes that we've seen. And people are very aware of the housing shortage. Why haven't things changed? Yeah, so that is a sort of the question of the hour because you've got these uh, one-time housing activists, the Yes in My Backyard contingent that has gained a lot of political power. There have been a lot of lawsuits over this in recent years. But the fact is that things are still very good for a lot of people the way things are. So this new report from the libertarian-leaning Manhattan Institute shows that home prices in the Bay Area um, increased about 63 percent um, from 2008 to 2019, despite all of these concerns. So if you owned a house, like things were pretty good for you. Um, rents, on the other hand, also jumped like 36 percent, which is a lot higher again than some of these places uh, like Austin or um, Durham and North Carolina, sort of the other job centers this report looked at. Um, and the question, as always, is kind of like, are we just going to keep going with the status quo or might things be shaken up now that we're back in this moment? 
moment of thinking about housing plans for the future. All right. I want to ask you about the individual cities, because as you write, that is at the heart of this. Tell us about these housing plans that they have to approve. What What is required that each city build? Oh, man. So this is a rabbit hole. But um, the, the process basically about once every 10 years, the state puts out this big number. So this year for the Bay Area, it's by 2031, you guys have to build 440,000 homes. And then there's this jockeying process that happens where the regional authorities pass out to each city, county, and town. Okay, that means you've got to build this many out of that big number. Um, and what's happening now in places like Palo Alto, Corte Madera, um, generally more affluent suburbs tend to be at the middle of this. Uh, they're trying to appeal those numbers and saying, well, well, actually, floods are a big risk here, or well, actually, we've built more housing in years past, so we shouldn't have to build as much. And it becomes this very bureaucratic kind of individual appeals process. And then um, what we're going to be watching for in the coming months is whether it turns into like more lawsuits over real housing units that people are trying to build that are getting held up. Um, so it becomes this kind of tangled web, but it really is sort of the gears that turn to get housing built here. And if the yes in my backyard side has gained a lot of power, do you see things being different moving forward? It depends, because the real issue is sort of a lack of accountability in the current system. For years and years, uh, cities have been able to just not build the amount of housing they were told to. And it will be interesting to see this time around, because there are new penalties in place if cities don't comply. Um, you've got folks like the mayor of Palo Alto saying this could lead to what he told me could be a revolt of cities. So we'll have to see what exactly that means, whether that's just lawsuits or whether you know there's some sort of escalation beyond that. Um, um, but it, it's something to definitely keep an eye on uh, at the local level, because while this is a state program, really these decisions about whether housing is or isn't built are happening at your city council and sort of meetings that play out every week in your community. Lauren, I want to ask you about the pandemic. When things first started getting bad, everyone sort of assumed the bottom would drop out of the market. And even after that, a lot of people, well, some people moved out of the Bay Area because of remote work. But just the opposite happened. What what went on with housing? Yeah, so it, like you say, it was really the opposite of what a lot of people expected. There was this period where things were kind of in limbo when the really intense shelter-in-place orders were in effect. But then you saw a ton of movement. We started seeing more bidding wars, especially on anything that had like a backyard or more uh, sort of individual workspaces. Um, I know I personally was living in a loft at the beginning of the pandemic, and that did not last. Uh, so just just one anecdote. Um, but so you saw a combination of things coming together. There was like pent up demand. Obviously, a lot has been made of the 30 somethings now discovering home ownership and moving into the suburbs. But there's a very real kind of like desperation um, that realtors say their clients were feeling just this pressure to like, oh, my God, I've got to get into a stable kind of long-term situation, um, and they have more freedom, perhaps, to do that because of the changes with remote work. Um, but the other thing that's done because it's getting so competitive and the list prices, like you said earlier, um, now the Bay Area, the median house is well above a million dollars. Um, that leads to huge questions about who really sees themselves having a long-term future here. Um, you've starting 
you're starting to hear more about things like collective home ownership, people like divvying up shares of property because that's the only way they can get in the market. Um, and on the other end, we're going to have a whole lot to watch in the next few months because these programs to prevent foreclosures and evictions um, are going to be starting to slowly wind down. And I think the big question um, is whether we're going to see like a, a major shift because of that or whether investors and other folks who have been shut out are right there to sort of jump in if that happens. All right, let's take a quick break. More with Chronicle reporter Lauren Hepler on Fifth and Mission right after this. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support this show and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by Chronicle reporter Lauren Hepler. She's talking about the escalation of home prices in the Bay Area. Lauren, before we get back to the story, I just want to ask you about your your beat. You joined us in April, and for the first time, we have a reporter that's completely dedicated to housing crisis and essentially housing unaffordability and how it's affecting people's lives. How has that been so far, and what are you trying to tell people with this job? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely no shortage of news happening right now when it comes to housing. And I think the thing that's most striking is just how busy it is for folks at every income level, sort of every situation across the Bay. I've been spending a lot of time at homeless encampments that are getting cleared as people, you know, public spaces are reopening and people are sort of going back out into public. That's obviously a massive question. What's going to happen there? Um, when you think about renters, there's been huge levels of controversy about what to do with eviction moratoriums. There's these rent relief programs where we keep hearing, don't worry, 100% of your rent is going to get paid off. But that is definitely not what we are hearing is actually happening from people who are applying to these programs. Um, and then in the meantime, you've got all the stuff we're talking about with for sale houses where people, especially first-time buyers, are trying to crack into the market because they're like, okay, there was a pandemic. We made it through. I'm going to settle down. But when you actually do the paperwork and try to do that, it's like, oh my God, there's 30 offers and I can't have any inspections or anything. Um, So again, it's just kind of like whatever situation you're in, there's a lot happening right now. The other thing that happened during the pandemic is that people realized that they could move farther and farther away from work. It did give us a little bit of relief in San Francisco, at least temporarily. How much are people now worrying about what the future holds for where they can work and where they can live? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I spend a lot of time down on the Central Coast in the Santa Cruz area, and I know there's a lot of folks who work in either the San Francisco or San Jose area that are having those very tense conversations with their bosses now about how many days they, they're going to have to go in. So in a lot of ways, that's what makes it so weird because it's this individual sort of negotiation process. But I think the one thing we've seen with sort of huge name companies like Facebook and others is that there's going to be more flexibility. So we shouldn't just expect everyone to immediately retreat to San Francisco and Palo Alto and all those places. Um, Oakland is one where uh, the rental market has has started to get a lot tighter 
houses are selling for two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars over the asking price. Um, so there's a ton of competition there. Um, I'm really interested in what's happening sort of on the fringe of things. Um, we did a story about Latino home buyers and how they specifically are weathering this kind of crazy moment in time. Um, and I was hearing from their realtors that folks are looking in Madera County or way out in other parts of the Central Valley, which some of that has been happening for a long time, but we're talking about areas sort of further and further out. And my question is like, is there a point at which it's too far um, and that just becomes untenable? Or are we just going to see these increasingly extreme situations where people maybe crash with a friend for a day or two and make it work because at the end of the day, they get to own a house somewhere in California? But also, it seems like you've been finding that in these places, whether it's the Central Valley or it could be Austin, Texas or somewhere else where a lot of people are moving because they have the freedom, it really affects that community. Yeah, my colleague Roland Lee just did a great series from Austin talking about how a lot of the problems that we've seen in the Bay Area with homelessness, with really fast rising housing costs are now effectively being exported to these other cities like Austin, Denver, Portland, you know, these cities we all hear anecdotally about people moving to are now dealing with a lot of really similar issues. And part of that is, you know, individuals moving. It's also companies moving and starting big offices there. So it's a lot of things happening at once. Um, But again, the, the question is kind of like, do we start to reach some sort of equilibrium at a certain point um, where it's a bit more manageable for folks if you're not making several hundred thousand dollars a year? Um, because certainly in the Bay Area, we've seen that tension boil over. Lauren, in this housing affordability crisis, one of the big issues has been whether to eliminate single family zoning, whether to have, for example, fourplexes in, in different places where some people are uncomfortable with, some people think it's a great idea. Where, where are we with that? Yes. So we've heard this conversation come up definitely in recent years about uh, revisiting zoning at the state level. The bill this year to keep an eye on is SB9, and it would make two major changes to state law. So it would allow homeowners in most areas of California to divide their property into two lots. Um, So, uh, you know, someone else could buy into that same lot. Um, It also allows two homes to be built on each of those lots. So in effect, what you're looking at is up to four homes being on a single lot, what would have been one house sort of in in old times. Um, But that's still really controversial in a lot of areas. I've written about Palo Alto, um, where there's community groups that just go nuts um, talking about this because of the concern about traffic, noise, neighborhood character. So all familiar complaints, and it's going to be a big hurdle um, in the legislature to to getting the bill done. Um, But I'm talking to folks who are optimistic that, that they could make headway this year. Um, so we'll have to, to see about that, but yeah, the whole question is sort of where we go from here on density. Yeah. I always get a strange feeling when I hear the word neighborhood character, because it seems to suggest, Hey, your neighborhood should get this housing because it doesn't have any character. Um, that seems to be the argument that people make, but that's one that, that people are challenging. Yes, definitely. And not to pick on Palo Alto, but because we just did a fairly in-depth story about this there. Um, the thing that housing advocates are increasingly saying is you can't talk about neighborhood character and like the good old days, how things have been without acknowledging things like how segregated some areas have become. 
Um, and so they are now tying that to this conversation about zoning reform to say one way to hopefully integrate cities in the Bay Area and elsewhere relatively quickly is to increase the number of homes there, allow more people who work in the city to live there, even if they're different kinds of people than own a home there now. So it's it's one of these things where you get into questions about race, you get into questions about income, um, and you can certainly see that tension playing out at city council meetings. Like these definitely are not your super boring, dry city council meetings when they talk about these things. Um, but the question is whether they'll go from acknowledging that there are issues to actually making some changes. Yeah, these are the fundamental questions about inequality in California, which is uh, what you're exploring in your beat. I did want to ask you before I let you go, jobs, housing imbalance. What about lessening the jobs so that the housing catches up? I was just talking to a housing activist this morning that said there is the option to sort of like torpedo the economy um, and say like there there was I think it was an op ed uh, a few years back on one of the suburbs in the peninsula where a local official did say we want new housing. We don't necessarily want the new jobs that come with it. Um, And that was extremely, extremely controversial because in most places like I'm from Ohio, if a politician said that their career would be over in effect, but it just goes to show that we're in some ways in like an alternate economic reality in California where managing sort of the side effects of economic growth, of massive wealth creation just creates um, a whole different set of questions. But I, I think most people at the end of the day agree, no, like the best thing for the region is to keep this opportunity, but it's a matter of how do you make sure that's distributed, hopefully more equitably, and how do you make sure people have a roof over their head in the process? All right, Lauren Hepler, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle reporter Lauren Hepler, to Cecilia Lay for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. Thank you.